Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for leading us. Great time of worship. Appreciate you guys' preparation and your heart. We are continuing our series, Essential Traits of the Church, and uh, we're glad that you're here with us this morning to dig into this. Uh, whether you're here through the camera or here in person, we are glad that you're here. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 12 very soon. Uh, so we're looking at the essential traits of the church, and all that means to us is the things that should be prevalent in our church body, the things that we should do, the things that we should be about, the things that we should be focused on, the things that we do repeatedly over and over and over as followers of Jesus. And we've been looking at it for several weeks now. We're on the sixth essential trait of the church this week. We looked at first the first essential trait, and it's first for a reason, is we must be preaching and teaching God's Word. It's the, it's the foundation and the final authority of everything that we do. Everything we do is through the lens of what God says in Scripture. It's the foundation and final authority of all that we do. Preach and teach God's Word. We must be doing that as a church. If we aren't, we're just playing around and having songs and being entertained. Evangelism. Who do you say Jesus is? Do you recognize that you deserve death for your sin? That Jesus took that away through his sacrifice. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he the Messiah, the Son of the living God to you? And if so, are we sharing that? That's what evangelism is. Discipleship. Learning how to one another, one another. That's what discipleship is. And that's really a big part of the ongoing reason why we keep coming to church. Because that's the hard part of being a Christian. Is one anothering each other the way that we should. The way that God calls us to. Prayer. The communication that connects our inability to God's ability communicating to God through His Spirit because of Jesus taking away the separation between man and God, prayer. And then last week we looked at giving, everybody's favorite subject to hear about giving in the church. We talked about uh, the importance of it, why we do it, and that ultimately giving, like singing and many other things that we do, is simply an act of worship. Every time that we give, we're saying, I don't worship this money, I worship God. So, that's what we've looked at so far, and this week we're looking at membership. I know this, uh, this series is kind of teachy, and some people really like that. My daughter took three pages of notes last week, and she was excited about that. She loves being able to take the notes and have the things and all of that. Um, some people don't like the teachy series, so if you don't like it, just hang on, and we'll, we'll be done with this before too long. But uh, for those of you that like the teachy series, this is, this is more of a, an informational-type series because... I don't know, it just felt like the time to revisit some of, these, uh, some of these foundational aspects of the church. So today we're looking at membership. Okay, So if we're going to get one thing out of today, what is membership? Church membership. It is not the ability to vote in a business meeting. Currently, that's really all that technically separates a non-member and a member of someone that comes to this church. That's not really, that's not really the point of church membership. It, it's... Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just not the end-all, be-all. Belonging and being committed to a local church is scripturally expected and essential to its function. That's why we're talking about membership. Belonging to a local body of believers, God says in His Word that it is expected of followers of Jesus and that it is essential to the proper functioning of that church for people to belong to a local body of believers. So we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12, digging into membership today. 
starting in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, is it not for that reason any less a part of the body? Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, is it not for that reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. Verse 19, and if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Continuing in verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I, do not, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we, we consider less honorable, we clothe these with great honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Last verse, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. You are the body of Christ and individual members of it. So the first thing this morning, it's expected. Being a member of a church, not member like we think of, anything else we have added to being part of the church, but being a member of the church, participating in a local church, being committed to a local church, being part of a local church. It is 100% without a doubt expected of believers. There is no doubt about that. If you look at the word ecclesia, you've heard that word several times in church, I'm sure. Ecclesia is the word in the original language in the Greek used for church. That, that's where we get our word church. And the word actually means assembly or gathered people. So that's what Jesus says. When I'm going to build my ecclesia, I'm going to build my gathered people. Each individual follower of Jesus is a living stone building the temple of God. 114 times that word is used in the New Testament. Undoubtedly, 90 times out of those 114 times, it is used describing the local church and not the global church as a whole. There's a difference in the local church and the global church. All believers everywhere make up the body of believers for God, the church. But 90 times out of the 114 times in the New Testament, that description of ecclesia is used to describe a local body of believers that are gathering together, meeting together in a specific place at a specific time for specific reasons. It's a local body that makes up the entire body of Christ. So it is expected. Just listen to the, to the way it says it in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 1-2. This is Paul. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. He doesn't say to the church everywhere. He says to the church of God in Corinth. Then he goes on to talk about 
the whole church everywhere in just a couple of verses after that. Okay, another example, Romans 16, 3 and 5, Paul again talking. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Greet also the church that meets at their house. A couple of things that jump out to me on this. One, specifically, again, it's a local body of believers meeting together. Also, pretty neat, not an exception either. This happens fairly often in the New Testament. The church, the local church is meeting in the house of a believer, usually a believer that is fairly well off, that has a bigger house that can, that can bring people in. Now, does that mean that we should always be meeting in houses? No, but it's a good thing to do. <laughs> it's a good thing for believers to do, to do that. Why? It's easy to break bread together. It's easy to fellowship together. It's definitely, definitely more comfortable when you're meeting at someone's house than when you're in a big room with a whole bunch of people right? Why didn't they do that? Well, sometimes they did. Sometimes they went to the synagogue, but as Christianity went on, it became less and less of a thing you could continue to be alive and meet together publicly. So they kind of had to meet in secret most of the time, and that's why most of the time they were meeting in the house. So it, the thing is, it's, it's hard to be a gathered people if you don't get together somewhere at some specific location. So whether it's this building or someone's house Wherever it is, there must be consistent believers getting together locally together. Okay, So there's no doubt that it's expected. There's no doubt that Scripture makes that clear, that being part of a gathered local body of believers is expected in church. Is expected, excuse me, of believers. So the question is, that's what I usually do when I read something, then I think of, well, what question goes with that? So the question is, if it's expected of believers to be a member of a local church, then the question is, am I a member? Am I a member of a local church? Have I done what I'm supposed to do to be considered a local member of a church? At this church, here's how we define a member in the Constitution. Someone that has professed faith in Jesus Christ publicly and gotten baptized. Why? Well, if you go back to our first verses we looked at, what's the, one of the first things Paul says? That you are in one baptism together. It's not that it get, makes you saved. It's just an expected action of a believer of Jesus. It's expected that you would get baptized. Why wouldn't you? Jesus said to, so why wouldn't you? So that's the first way you can be a member of this church. A, a literal, actual, on-the-rolls member of this church is to profess Jesus and get baptized here at this church. Or... You can have done that at another church of like-mindedness, and then they will transfer your letter from there to here. Right? That's how you become a member of this church. Is there any other way? Is there any other thing to it? Of course there is. <laughs> if you're a member of the church, you're expected to be part of the church. What is a member of something? When you say, I'm a member of something, what does that mean? It means you belong to it, you identify with it, and maybe as importantly, you represent it wherever you go. So if you identify as a member of this church, we represent this church as we move along throughout our lives. Everything we do for the good and for the bad. And most of the time, the public will definitely take notice of the bad a whole lot easier and associate it with the church a lot quicker than they will the good. So it's just something to remember. If it is essential... If it is expected for us to be part of the church, 
Am I a member of the church? Have I done what it takes to be considered part of the local church? Am I participating? Am I doing all these essential traits that we're talking about? Am I part of the functioning body of the church? It's expected. Second thing is it's essential. What does that mean? Well, it means it has to happen. It needs to happen. It must happen. It's essential. It's essential. 36 times in 12 verses that we looked at this morning. 36 times in 12 verses, believers of Jesus are, are identified as a member or a part of the body of Christ. Each individual is essential to the overall function and mission of the church. Paul uses the body of the example of a body, that we are all parts of the body of Christ. Saying that you don't need to be part of a church as a follower of Jesus is like saying, it'd be like a hand telling an ear that I don't need you. It, it doesn't make any sense. Why, why would anyone purposefully not have part of what their body can do? Now, can the body function without part of the body? Of course it can. Can the body of Christ function without all the essential parts of the church? Yes, it can. It just can't do it as effectively as if all the members were engaged doing what they're supposed to do. I mean, we've seen it, you know, wounded warriors, right? They function with a whole bunch of their body missing sometimes when they come back from war. They can still function. It's just hard. It's a whole lot harder than it would be if they had all of their members with them, right? I've had an appendectomy before, right? Little bitty tiny thing. It's not even really an organ. It's just a little thing that sticks off your guts. It doesn't really serve much function. It's not very fun. I'm functioning fine without it, but that little bitty tiny thing in my body not doing what it was supposed to do, had it not been taken out, would have killed me. The same thing can be true of the church. <laughs> it, doesn't take, it doesn't take much disgruntlement. It doesn't take much gossip. It doesn't take much unforgiveness. It doesn't take many people doing that in a church for it to become very dysfunctional very quickly. So you can help. You're essential to the healthy functioning of the church as a member of the church, as a follower of Jesus. But you also can be very detrimental to the functioning of the church when you have a, a role that God has called, to you, called you to and a function that you should be performing in the church. And instead of doing that, we spend time doing things that we shouldn't do. So we don't want to be part of the dysfunction of the church. We want to be an essential part of the healthy functioning of the body of Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 26. It should be on the screen there with you. So the question is, if it's essential and expected, well, then what? Well, Paul summarizes that in verses uh, 26 of chapter 14. What then is the conclusion, brothers? Whenever you come together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, another language, or an interpretation. All things must be done for edification. What is the pur purpose of you having a role, a job, a function in the body of Christ, the local body of Christ? All things must be done for edification. When individual members of the church perform their essential and expected roles, the church is edified. The church is edified. That word is, is from two root Latin words that mean literally to build a house or to build a temple. It's come to mean and really uh, it means that, but it also means the, the, this definition that I'm putting on the screen before I get tongue-tied. 
to instruct and improve, especially in moral and religious knowledge, to enlighten, to inform, to educate, to improve. So what's the point? What's the point of believers being a member of a church, being a functioning, healthy part of the church? It's to build up the church. It's to literally make the church bigger, better, more noticeable to the world, more glorifying to God, more impactful on the other members, the each member that, you, that is in the church. It all goes together. It's to edify the church, the edification of the church. Now remember, we are the church. <laughs> it's to edify us individually. When, when somebody with wisdom puts their arm around you and shares wisdom with you, it builds you up. It improves you. It educates you. It enlightens you to something that you didn't understand before, right? When, when you see, and I'm, I'm going to try not to name names this morning because I don't want to miss somebody that, that I really care about, but when you see certain people in the church that just do the jobs that don't seem very important and they do them over and over and over without being asked, ever, they just do it. Why? Because it needs to be done. I love that when people say that. Why'd you do that? Because it just it needed to be done. So, so I did it. When, when people in the church do that, does that not inspire you? Does that not motivate you? Does it not make you step back and go, man, that, that, I want to be like that. That's how I should be. That's the way I want to function. It's, it, it builds up. It edifies the church. What else? It edifies the church, but what else? It displays spiritual unity where human diversity is obviously present. When we function the way God wants us to function, unified, that's what a body does. All different stuff, all doing different things, all at different times, but it functions as a body. The human physical body does that. Paul likens us to a body. So when we are doing all the things that we're supposed to do, even though that we look different and we sound different, we come from different backgrounds, sometimes in many churches people speak different native languages, Right, have come from different cultures. We don't experience that a whole lot here, but you can go to certain bigger cities, and, and I mean, the diversity in the church is even, even more exemplified than we can possibly imagine. But just in our body right here, just the people here today and joining us through the camera today, think about how different all of us are. The different things that we like, the different things that we enjoy, right? The different jobs that we have outside of the church. Some of us make a lot of money. Some of us don't make very much money at all. Some of us vote this way. Some of us vote that way, right? That's a pretty clear dividing line these days. I'm not not chasing that rabbit, I promise. There's a lot of diversity in a body of believers. But when we function properly, there's something special about that spiritual unity that takes place. When each individual member is doing their job, it's just a marvelous thing the way the body can function together, just the same way that the human body is. I was listening to something uh, yesterday and today. I like to listen to health podcasts and stuff like that. I'm a nerd when it comes to learning about that kind of stuff. And, uh, of course, I may teach you something this morning. You may not have ever heard of this. And so they were talking about dental health, okay? And I have chalk for teeth, so this definitely caught my attention because I always have teeth trouble. And it talked about this, this fluid that the hypothalamus tells the gut to make that eventually ends up through the lymphatic system into your teeth and eventually microscopically comes out of the top of your teeth and protects it. 
or when you eat what you're not supposed to eat, it does the same thing in reverse. So it brings things down into your teeth that it's not supposed to. And the, and the host of this podcast said, so, so you're saying it's like teeth sweat? And the person on the, that, that was there explaining this phenomenon said, yeah, yeah it's like teeth sweat. And I was like, wow, <laughs> teeth sweat? Like I've never even heard of or thought of anything like that. I mean, the body is a marvelous thing. Who would have thought that our teeth sweat? So it's not necessarily that the candy that you eat is on your tooth and causing a cavity. It's the candy that you eat affects your gut, and then therefore your teeth don't sweat properly or something. I don't know. i got to dig more into this. But it was just another example of how incredibly diverse and crazy the body is the way it works together. But at the same time, it works together. Same thing with the church. What, what can you do in the church? What can you not do in the church? <laughs> That's a better question. What can you not do in the church? I mean, there's, there's so many things that you can do to make, the, to make this body of believers function more properly, right? So, well, I'm older now. I can't do much physically. Great. You've been given the gift of time. You can be in the Word, and you can pray more than you ever used to be able to because you have the time to do that now. You don't have the distractions that life brings when you're raising a family and doing all those types of things, right? Uh, or you can build. We have people in this church that that's kind of their gift, Several people in this church, that's kind of their gift. And we've used that outside of these walls to help people. It's the words getting around. Had someone call me this past week that is not part of this church. They just wanted to run some things by me on how to build a ramp and wondering if we could partner up with them a little bit. We're not even going to do any of the work. But, but he said, I heard your church is good at this. I was like, how cool is that? <laughs> how cool is that? Ramps RS is what we used to call it. All right? Or hashtag redug. When, when you got to read. About the fourth time you dig that hole and it's in the right spot, then, you, you know, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. What can't you do in the church? I mean, you don't have to preach. You don't have to teach. You don't have to lead in song. All those things are great things. If you can teach, great. Teach. If you can preach, then preach. Okay? If you can't carry a tune in a bucket then sit out there and sing to the top of your lungs. But just don't put a microphone in front of you. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Right? There's so many things you can do. You can just serve. You can clean floors. Right? He, he descri- Paul describes things in the body that, that he says, he kind of says it in really kind of a weird way, but he says there's less honorable parts of the body, but we clothe those parts. So there's parts that we don't show or that we shouldn't show, but we show honor to those parts because we clothe them, right? So it's like God flips everything upside down like he does with everything. The things we think aren't important and the things we think are less honorable, God says, no, those are as or more important than the things you think are important. And they're as or more honorable than the things you think are honorable. So we think that standing right here doing what I'm doing right now is like the end-all, be-all of being a Christian. And God says, no. It may just be the guy that shows up faithfully and mops the floors for 40 years, but he does it with a thankful, worshipful heart to me. And God says, to me, that is honorable. And that makes the, the function of the body of Christ function properly. What else does it do? When we function as God has called us to, to we display and experience God's true love. When we function... As God has called us to, we display and experience 
God's love. That's a pretty cool thing. Uh, Paul, in a different part where he's talking about being a member of a church, in Romans 12, 9 through 18, says, Love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in afflicted. In affliction, be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who re- rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Man, is there, a, is there a more important thing that we can do as a church member than to just weep with someone who is weeping and struggling and going through things that are difficult? Be in agreement with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes, if possible, on your part. Live at peace with everyone. That's what happens when we're all together doing what we're supposed to do. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. Right? We're persistent in prayer. We can do all these things. But the first thing he starts there with is love must be without hypocrisy. So when we're doing all those things, we're experiencing love in a way that you don't experience it elsewhere in the world. You just don't. John 13, 35. By this, all... Repeat. What does that say? How many? All. Some of us? No. What does it say? All. Okay. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Right before this, Jesus has just given the one commandment. Jesus takes the entire Old Testament and sums it down into one statement. Love others the way I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. If you love the way I have loved. Sacrificially. To the point of death. That's the way Jesus loved. That's asking a lot. It's like, I'd rather just have a list of 20 things to do and check off. Like, that would be a whole lot easier than loving the way Jesus loves. It's not easy to love the way Jesus loves, to forgive the way Jesus forgives, to care about people the way Jesus cares about people, to, put, to sacrifice yourself, to put yourself aside for the betterment of others. It's not easy to do that. But he says, all that other stuff, it's really about that. If you want to love me with everything you have, right, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, if you want to do that, then love others the way I have loved you. That's how you express your love for me, God says. And that's how the world knows that you are my disciples. So that is part of the reason of being a member of a church. We experience and display God's true love to the entire church. Think about this. Right smack dab in the middle of where we're looking at in 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians 12, then 13, then 14. What is 1 Corinthians chapter 13? The love chapter, right? I mean, it's one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible, in my opinion. It's definitely the most explicit description of what love is. It's right in the middle of what it means and how to be a member of a church. It's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about spiritual gifts, how to use those in the church, that is to edify the church. He's talking about how to treat each other. But ultimately, right in the middle of that, all of, verse, all of chapter 13 talks about love, real love, patient love, sacrificial love, the, the, kind of, the kind of love that truly overcomes everything else in the world. We experience that best and most in the church, in the gathering of Jesus' people. 
say, what about the family? Absolutely in the family. What if somebody doesn't have a family? You ever stop and thought about that? <laughs> what if somebody's family is, treats them like garbage? Jesus says that families will be divided because someone's going to follow them. Right? So the, the one place that for sure, for any follower of Jesus, any Christian, anybody that has placed their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the one place they should know for sure that they can experience God's love and display God's love is in the church. That's where it should be happening. Whether it's this church inside the building or when six or eight of us, six or eight of you are out somewhere. We should be experiencing and displaying God's love for the world to see. Why? Because when the church functions the way it's supposed to, it draws people to God. It draws people to God. We said it last week. It, it can always come back to these two things. God will be glorified and we will benefit. Individually and corporately as a, as a group of believers, if we do things God's way, he will be glorified most effectively and we will benefit from it in some way, spiritually, physically, in this world, after this life, some way, somehow, we will benefit from doing it God's way. And every time, God will be glorified when we do it His way. So, last thing. Why would somebody not be a member of a church? Why do people just dabble in church? Right? Why do people go to a church for years sometimes and not officially become a member? Right? Probably the same reason why somebody dates somebody for a long time but won't officially commit marriage well it means the same yeah okay no it doesn't <laughs> no it doesn't it doesn't mean the same if it did then we just wouldn't get married we'd just say i'm committed to her or i'm committed to him whatever the case may be right but we don't do that go tell your wife that go tell your wife that today honey so I want you to know that I'm not going to officially be committed to you anymore, but, you know, you know, we can just tear that marriage license up, but, you know, I'll still be a good, you know, life partner or whatever you call it if you're not married. I don't know. Why do people do that? Simple. When you belong, <laughs> there are expectations and standards to be held to. Period. That's why people don't want to commit to a church because commitment is hard. Commitment means there's something expected of you. You're supposed to do something. You're supposed to do it in a specific way. There's expectations and standards to be held to. But God said to do it, which means there's a benefit for doing it His way. And that benefit may just be that the church, the rest of the church body, knows that you are officially committed to what they're doing, to what you're going to be part of. It's easy to church hop. Some people that, that join us on the screen, I'm so glad that you're here if you're watching us through the screen. But it's easy to, to, to watch through a screen this church and then dabble in that church and then be part of this church and then I'll go to that church for a while. Well, that preacher said something I didn't like, so now I'll go to this church for a while. Well, that deacon said something I didn't like, so now I'll go to this church for a while. Well, that old lady in the back with the blue hair said something I didn't like, so now I'll go to this church for a while. Well, good luck. Good luck experiencing life the way God says that we should experience it if you're not committed to a local church. Commit, 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 commit to a local church. 
If you're already a member in name, then make sure you're a member in function. And if you're not a member in name, but you are a member in function, go ahead and make it official. Make it official. Join the church. Say, I want to join the church. I've done all those things. I want to join. The, I, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I have been baptized. I want to join this church. I want to make it official and join this church. And we together will hold each other to the expectations and standards that Jesus says to hold us to. Nothing else. We will try to hold you to nothing else because nothing else truly matters. But that's membership. That's membership. Ultimately, it's essential and it's expected of us to be committed to a local body of believers that will glorify God and it will benefit you and everyone else that is part of that local church. I'm going to pray for us and we'll finish in song. Uh, this is time of invitation. It's, a, it's an invitation. You're invited to, res- to do business with God. Join the church. Get saved. Worship Him in song. Worship Him in prayer. Worship Him by going and reconciling with somebody that you messed up a relationship with or they messed up with you and you just want to say, I'm sorry, I messed it up. That'd be a great thing to do. Whatever it is, you're invited to do that right now as we finish up with these last couple of songs. God, we come to you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you call us to things uh, that push us, call us to things that, that, that are hard, because through those difficulties, through that suffering, Lord, we know that we are identifying with you the ultimate suffering that you went through, the ultimate difficulty and out of the comfort zone that you did for us, God. You set aside, being, you set aside the privilege of being God to come be man. While still being God, you loved and lived as man. How could we not desire to do the same thing, God? How could we not desire to do what you've called us to do? Lord, I pray that you would put a fire in us to do what you've called us to do. Whatever that may be, God. Ultimately, I, call, I pray that if anyone here today, Lord, has never publicly professed their faith in you, they realize that they have sinned, that they deserve death, that you sacrificed yourself to take that away and then proved that you are God by coming back to life in resurrection, God. Proving that the gift of faith in you is eternal life. Lord, I pray that today would be that day that they would make that declaration. We love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We pray all things in Jesus' name. Amen.